We're continuing in our series, God is Good, God is Great, and we learned that prayer as a little child, but we want to find out if it's really true as adults. So we're looking at Psalm 23, and we've been finding out that God makes us lie down in green pastures, that he leads us beside quiet waters, and even that makes us lie down for some of us, if you didn't catch that message, you want to go back and get that one online because some of us, we have to be made to lie down. But we're going to find out about valleys today. And I guess the question, is God still good even in my valleys? Because all of life is made up of mountains and valleys. And we're going to experience all of that. If you'll open up your little worship folder there in the middle, you'll find some worship notes, I've got some verses there for you. You can follow along, you can follow along in your Bible, you can look up on the screen, we'll have those. But let me read you the first few verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his namesake, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you or with me. There's actually a, a valley, a canyon that was there in David's time in Israel that was called the valley of the shadow of death. Some of the walls were up to 800 feet high. It was very narrow. You could only see light when the, the sun was directly overhead like at 12 noon. It would shine all the way down. Otherwise, it was in shadow in the, in the bottom. And, and David's speaking of this as kind of a, an example, a metaphor of what it's like in life so much of the time. Is God still God when we're going through the valleys? It reminds me of a, a passage of Scripture. 2,900 years ago in the Old Testament, there was a king by the name of Ahab. And Syria was the enemy of Israel. Ahab was the king of Israel. And Syria got 32 other kings to join them to fight against Israel, to destroy them. But somehow God miraculously delivered them as they fought in the hills uh, uh, around Israel. And the very next year, they decided they were going to try again. They couldn't figure out why they lost. And some of the generals of Syria came to the king and said, we think we know why we lost. We think that the God of Israel is the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. If we attack them in the valley where God is not there, where they'll never see or experience or feel God there, I think we'll get them. And so it's very interesting because uh, the Bible says in 1 Kings 20, 27, the Syrian forces covered the whole countryside, but the Israelites looked like a little flock of goats. The defeat looks inevitable, but then God says in 1 Kings 20, 28, God said, because the Syrians think I'm only the God of the hills and, that I am the, uh, and not that I am the God of the valleys, I'm going to give you victory over this huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. I'm the Lord of all of it. I'm the Lord of the mountaintop. When you seems like you, it seems like you can see forever 
and life feels so good. I'm the Lord of the valley. When you can't even feel my presence, you don't know what's going on and you don't understand. He's the God of all of it. Well, I want us to look at a few things this morning. One is what we know about the valleys of life. I want you to write these down. I put a few blanks there for you. What do we know about the valleys of life? First of all, valleys are inevitable. They're inevitable. They're just a part of life. They're a part of normal life. You can't avoid them. They're going to happen. You can count on them. Either you're in a valley right now or you're coming out of a valley or you're going to be going into a valley real, really soon because that's what life is like. And in fact, the Bible says really clearly, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. You're going to go through valleys in your lifetime. It's really not a question of if you're going through a valley. It's a question of when are you going to go through the valley, the valley of disappointment, defeat, distraction, disturbance, despair. They're just a part of life. In fact, Deuteronomy 11.11, way back in the Old Testament, one of the first five books written by Moses, he says this, the promised land you're about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. Even the promised land is going to have valleys. 1 Peter 4.12, written by Peter who walked with Jesus all those years, says this, don't be surprised when you're tested by troubles or painful suffering. As if something unusual is happening to you. Don't be surprised. They're a part of life. It's going to happen. So many times when the valley comes, we say, why me? But the Bible says that the correct question is, why not me? Why not me? You have problems in your life, not because you're a bad human. You have problems in your life because you're a human. That's what the scripture says. So they're inevitable. But also, put this down, they're impartial. Valleys are impartial. They happen to everybody. There's no way you can avoid them. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Valleys are impartial. Psalm 34, 19. David said, the good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. A lot of people... When they experience a problem, a difficulty, a valley in life, they say, God is punishing me. But that's not true. It's just part of being in the human race. It's part of living on this broken planet where sin reigns and rules because of our failure, because of our sin, all the way back to our very first ancestors. But because of that and this huge snowball of sin that's come down generation after generation, we're gonna experience pain. Nobody's immune. Matthew 5:45, Jesus said this: the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody goes through the same things in life. It's part of living on this prodigal planet of ours. But one other thing: valleys are unpredictable. They're not only inevitable and impartial, they're unpredictable. That's what makes them a problem. You can't predict them. You can't plan them. They catch you off guard. Don't you wish that, that you could plan 
your valleys. I mean, they usually come at the worst time. It would be great if you could say, okay, I, I'm about caught up on my sleep. I've kind of got all the family stuff all worked out now, and, and, and the kids are doing good. So, okay, God, give me a little valley. I'm ready. Doesn't work that way, does it? And, and sometimes it seems like they pile on, on top of each other. Have you ever noticed how quickly a good day can become a bad day with just a single phone call? Someone made a decision. You had nothing to do with it. Maybe someone way up in corporate. And all of a sudden, your whole life changes. It's turned upside down. Proverbs 27.1 says this. Don't ever brag about tomorrow. You don't know what the day will bring forth. Don't ever get to the point where you go, all right, I think I've got it now. You know, I, I think I've got everything right where I want it. Life is just where, this is, I, okay, the whole next 15 years are planned out and they're just gonna go like this, right? Is that gonna happen? There's one thing I can guarantee you. No, it's not gonna happen. It doesn't work like that. But I wanna go a little bit deeper and not just tell you that Valleys are, are unpredictable and impartial and, and they're going to happen to all of us. But I want us to look at maybe a few of the valleys that I guarantee that you're going to go through that we see in Scripture. When you read Scripture, you see all these different valleys. And a lot of times the valleys, I mean it's true stories. The Scripture is a true story. But it also will use valleys like a metaphor sometimes to show you um, what it looks like. So you can be aware. You see, I'm not a psychic. I can't predict what you're going to go through next year, and neither can you. But I can tell you what you're probably going to go through sometime in your life because these valleys are common to all of us. So let's look at, at what kind of valleys to expect, just real quickly. The first one I call the Valley of Sedim. The Valley of Sedim, that's the Valley of Failure. The Valley of Failure. It's found in Genesis 14. If you like war stories, you like to watch like war movies or something, this is your chapter, okay? Those of you who like even like the Lord of the Rings, reading the book or watching the movies, you know, it, it, it finishes out in that big climax. It's the Battle of the Five Armies. Well, this is even bigger. This is the Battle of the Nine Armies. And there's nine armies coming to clash together in the valley of Sedim. There are the, the, the armies that are of Shinar, which eventually we will be called Babylon. This is way early. There are the armies that are inside Palestine, which is um, Israel's not there yet. It hadn't even been created because Abraham is, is still on the scene. He hadn't even had Isaac yet, so Israel's not there. But there's Sodom and Gomorrah. You might have heard of those cities. There are three other cities, and they are inside Palestine. And then there are um, four other kings that are coming against them that really have armies that are much more vast than them, and they clash in the valley of Sedim. And so... That's where the Dead Sea is located. Now, the Dead Sea came about after the, all the stuff happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Dead Sea was created at that time. But So these nine armies fight in the valley of Sedim, and 
Let me just read you what it says. Now this valley was full of sticky tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to run away from the battle, they slipped and fell. They got stuck in the pits. So the invaders plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and took everything that they had. In this valley of Sedim, there is there are pits of uh, bitumen. I don't know if you know what that is or not, but that, that's a petroleum that seeps to the the top of the of the land. You know, we see it in the La Brea tar pits. It's the same stuff that we see over there in around Los Angeles. You know, Sodom, Gomorrah, Los Angeles. I don't know if it has anything to do with that, but but that it seeps up to the top. All right, and and so. Um, what happened is the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they saw they were being defeated, so they tried to run away, but they got stuck in the tar pits and were captured out of those, out of those tar pits. And so what we see, the valley of Sedim, is when you try to run away from something, when you try to get away, it's kind of like the valley of failure where you slip and fall and get stuck. Maybe you're trying to run away from a responsibility or, or, or a bad marriage or, or, you know, some difficult situation and you try to get away from that. Or maybe it's just where you get all stuck in, in, in maybe an addiction or some things that are going on in our life. I was talking to a, a young lady a couple of days ago and she was telling me her story of coming to Christ and all that he had done for her. But she had said to me, one of the things that she struggled with for so long in her life was pornography. But she thought she's the only one, you know, because that's a man's problem, you know. And then she began to talk to her friends. And actually, as she became a believer, talked with her other believer girlfriends and found out that they were all struggling with the same stuff. In fact, the biggest demographic the rising demographic for pornography, women. Did you know that? And so what the Bible says is that we all struggle with things that are common. Common to mankind, it says. And what the Bible asks us to do is to confess our struggles and our failures and our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. I was telling her, I said, one of the things I love about community of faith, most churches are, are kind of talking up here, you know, like maybe a history lesson or, or something on, on Sunday morning. And community of faith, we're different than that. We talk more about where we're at. We talk here. But the truth is, for most of you and me, we live life here. This is where culture is. And until church can get down to here, we're really not going to be able to see the impact. Now, it's a little hard for me to talk about every single little thing that I know that all of us are dealing with. Did you know 70% of, uh, of preachers are struggling with pornography? Did you know that? They did some big study of that. And so everybody's in this thing together. And what, you know, but to get down and, you know, there's five-year-olds in here and there's... 95-year-olds in here. So it's a little bit hard to talk. But one of the things that I to do is get together. Get to get, make friends. Know each other. And be close enough that you can share 
your struggles. This gal said when she began to share struggles, she realized she's not the only one. They began to talk with each other and help each other and work with each other. And it makes all the difference. But maybe you're, you're running, you're struggling. You, you don't want to confess. You don't want to admit. You see, that's the valley of Sedim. And we're locked in our failures, in our addictions, in, in, in our stuff because we won't do that with each other. Those of you who are struggling with drugs and alcohol, we have a group that meets on Wednesday night that's, uh, that's amazing. And, and, and it, we've seen so much breakthrough. You want to be part of that. Find out about that at the information desk. But God has got some good things for us. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they weren't exactly family-friendly cities. In fact, they had a they, they had a little slogan, what happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. No, it wasn't. They didn't really. But you might feel, you know, like you're stuck, addicted. But God wants us to be there for each other. There's another valley, the valley of Eshkol. The valley of Eshkol, that's what I call the valley of fear. We see that in the book of Numbers way early in the Bible. It's the story of when Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land. Remember the children of Israel, they're freed from slavery in Egypt and they cross over the desert and they get to the promised land. It only takes about a week. So you thought it took 40 years. Wow, they said, that's a long trip. 40, no, 40 years. They wandered in circles after the valley of Eshkol. What happened there? Moses sent 12 spies in. To, to spy out the land that God had promised them was theirs. And they came back and they said, just like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. I, I mean, they brought back these grapes. that it was, There were such a big bunch of grapes on, on just one bunch that they had to carry it on a pole between two men. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a lot of grapes or else they're huge, you know. And, and, and so I said, it really is like what God promised, but... Ten of the spies that went in, they said, but the people are just as big. The people are just as powerful. They live in these giant fortified cities with giant walls around them. And when we got up next to them, they made us look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We could never take it. And you know what the people did? A couple of million people waiting for their report. The report comes back. Only two of them say, it's true. We, they look tough, but God promised us the land. That was Caleb and Joshua. Let's go get it. Anyway, let's take God's promises. The rest of the people started picking up rocks so they could stone Moses for taking them out of Egypt. Can you imagine? So that's the valley of Eshkol where all of that happened. Unbelief, fear. Maybe you're there. Maybe, maybe you're going like, God, I thought you gave me these promises and I don't even feel your presence right now and I don't, I don't know what and Mark said that you were always a God of promises and so I'm picking up my, my offering bucket right now I'm about ready to throw it at you know maybe you're feeling like that but God's going like no that's, that's a valley that's a valley what are you going to do in that valley and so they ended up walking in circles for 40 years until all of those who didn't believe 
had died. And their children went in and took the promised land. Now, how do you know if you're in the valley of Eshkol? When you see this thing in front of you that you feel like God has told you about, do you see it as an obstacle, this thing that's going to stop you, or do you see it as an opportunity? That's how you know. Is it an opportunity for God to show himself strong? Or is it an obstacle that's going to wipe you out and keep you from living for God and keep you from believing God and cause you just to walk in circles in your life? There's another valley, the valley of Elah. It's found in 1 Samuel 17. I call it the valley of conflict. It's another familiar story. The, the people of Israel are fighting against their dread enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines have a champion. You remember his name. He's nine feet, six inches tall, makes Shaquille O'Neal look like a little pipsqueak, okay? His name is Goliath. He comes out and, and he calls out and says, anyone want to face me in mortal combat? I'll represent the Philistines. You represent Israel, and whoever wins, wins it all. They used to do things like that back in that day. They would battle instead of everybody dying. They would have their champions come out and do it. And all of the Israelites were cowering in fear until little David, probably 17 years old, comes to bring some food to his brothers. And he hears that, and it makes him mad. Not because the guy's yelling out against Israel, but he said, he's making fun of our God. Did you hear him saying that stuff about God? He's ridiculing God. I'll go take him on. I'm not going to let anyone ridicule God. There's a verse in 1 Samuel 17, 3. It says, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley of Elah between them. Maybe that describes your marriage right now. Maybe... It's like there's this huge valley in between. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, and he was saying, I've allowed this huge valley to come between us. I've allowed this huge, I mean, the feelings are gone, basically. And I was sharing with him some of how he's going to have to humble himself and move down and cross the valley and come to his wife. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be the grown-up. It's interesting, one of the things about the Bible, the Bible says, it's you, husband. You see, sometimes I don't like the Bible very much. Because, you know, I, I'd be like, well, it should be even, you know. Even Stephen, I like, you know, we've come a long way with all this, you know, with women's rights and stuff. And it should be, she should have to meet me halfway. And the Bible goes, women are just as important as men. The Bible's always affirmed women's rights and equality. But let me tell you something. Man, you cross all the way over to your wife. That's your job. That's what I've given you to do. All right, that's the end of the message right there. But <laughs> we can just go home now, right? Yeah. I know. That's That's... That's it. This is the valley of Elah. And then there's another valley, the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca, it means weeping. It comes from the Hebrew word 
to weep. It, it's an actual valley. In fact, if you're a pilgrim going to Jerusalem in this day, you had to pass through the valley of Baca. And it was dry and dreary. No water there. It was kind of desert-like. And basically, what the Bible says about the valley of Baca, it's like when you just lose all your feelings and your emotions and you're basically numb. It feels like a dry spell in your life. And maybe the only thing that you've got left is just tears. The only water in the valley of Baca are your own tears. But in Psalm 85, 5 through 7, it says, Blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord. Did it say your feelings come from the Lord? It's not talking about feelings right now. Okay? It's talking about strength that you count on by willpower. All right? As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now that's like a miracle from God. It's like somehow as you go through this, it's like some springs. Some, some springs begin to come up. You know, it's like all of a sudden there's these freshwater springs popping up in Baca. How, how does that happen? I, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to my husband. I don't feel close to anybody. But water begins to show up. God says, I'm going to meet you there if you will allow me to meet you there. Even in Baca, I'll meet you. So what's going on? Well, I think it's important that we know what we need to remember as we go through our valleys. So let's hit this real quickly in closing. Number one, the psalmist says you need to remember who is with you. Remember who is with me. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I want you to circle a couple of words. I want you to circle the word through because it's not permanent. The valleys are temporary. They're not going to last forever. Aren't you grateful for that? Now, it might have seemed like they've lasted for quite a while, but they're not forever. And then I want you to circle the word you. Circle the word you. Because here's the thing that we begin to find out. God is there in the valley. Did you notice how when he first starts out, he says, he makes me lie down. He makes me. He leads me beside quiet waters. But then he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he changes it from he to you. You know where you're going to know God like you've never known God? In the valley of the shadow of death. When Laura was going through cancer, she discovered things about God. When they, those doctors said, you have a 50-50 chance to live over that next year of chemo and radiation and uh, ileostomy bag and all the things that she had to go through, she discovered things about God that were so deep and so profound and have never left her. Nothing's ever been the same since then. And I think it's important. It's important to know that. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, says Isaiah 43, 2. 
And I want you to remember something else. Remember what God is allowing. What is he allowing? You see, my dad used to always say, nothing can come into your life as a believer full out for God unless it comes through God's fingers of love because he's got you in the palms of his hands and he's holding you tight. And if he opens up his fingers enough to let something through, there's always a purpose. Now, he didn't cause it. But you see, when we stand before God, he's not going to say, you know, I'd like to really see your bank book. I'd like to see how much cash you, you, you developed. I'd like to see how popular you were. I'd like to see your fame. He says, I only want to see the character, your character that you allowed me to build, the character you allowed me to build into you during this tough time. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. This doesn't mean, of course, that we can only have a hope of future joys. We can be full of joy here and now even in our trials and troubles. Right now, taken in the right spirit, these very things will give us patient endurance. This in turn will develop mature character. And a character of this sort produces a steady hope that will never disappoint us. Already we've some experience of the love of God flooding our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Stephen Curtis Chapman, we talked about him, how he lost his little four-year-old girl in a tragic accident. He says this, Jesus tells us in this world you'll have trouble. But then he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. If I didn't believe that, I'd be extremely bitter and angry. My little girl's death underlined and solidified what I knew and believed, but it made it oh so much more real. When there was nothing else to hold, nothing to hold on to, I heard myself say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you. Not because there's an audience watching. I'm going to bless your name whether you give or take away. He said, before my daughter died, I thought I'd experienced some valleys. I'd gone 50 feet below sea level and I thought it was dark and difficult down there but I learned that God was with me but when she died I was pushed a hundred thousand feet below sea level and he said you know what I learned God is still there he's there even there I'm not alone lastly remember why He's allowing it. Our present troubles are quite small. They won't last very long. They're producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything you can imagine. He's teaching us to rule. He's teaching us to reign forever. That's part of it. But he's also doing something right here. He's teaching us that he is personal to us. It's only in our valleys that we find that. It comes, becomes goes from he to you are with me. I love that.